0: Jonah said is of the Lord it's not of us it's not of our church it's not of our rituals it's not of our morals it's not of any of those things salvation is of the Lord for the Bible teaches us that you out of your love and mercy and grace sent your son to earth and while he was on earth he endured all kinds of things just like we do and yet he did it differently than we do he did it without sin And there's not a one of us that could claim to even come close to anything like that. And I thank you, Lord, that you took your own son, your own perfect son, and you had him to be nailed to a cross so that he could be the sacrifice and shed his blood in our place, the innocent, the holy, the righteous, the blameless one for those of us who are anything but that. We're the opposite of all of that. And I thank you, Lord, that he did that willingly out of his great love. And he said, greater love has no man than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. And I thank you that Jesus didn't shrink back from the cross. I thank you that he even said, what am I supposed to do? Go away from this hour for this purpose. I have come. And I thank you that when he went on the cross and those nails were driven in his hands and in his feet, they were put there for us and because of us. And I thank you, Lord, that when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what we deserved. We should be the ones saying that for an eternity in hell, getting what we deserve. But he felt that and and you turned your back on him so to speak because you were putting your wrath on him and i thank you that when the cup of wrath came his way he didn't just taste it he drank it he drained it and we thank you father that he is the one that through his resurrection conquered death sin, hell and the grave and he did that for us because we would be victimized by those things never conquerors over those things and yet the Bible says now because of him we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us so we're thankful people and we want other people to be joining us in the worship and the praise of God but they can't because they're dead in trespasses and sins they are lost without Christ and the condemnation and the wrath of God is on them already but praise God the Bible says That if anyone would confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they shall be saved. And we thank you that salvation is of the Lord. That's why we come to you. Prepare hearts. Anoint our brother tonight to preach. And may hearts be softened and tender. May the soil be good. May the seed fall on that good soil. And we pray, Father, that we be able to plant and to water and eventually to reap a harvest. Lord, we long to see people saved. We long to see them baptized, to grow in the Lord, to have a part in their spiritual development and to see what you would do in their life. And so, Father, we pray you would honor our prayers by saving lost people and allowing us to be a part of your kingdom and your eternal work from before the foundation of the world that you might be honored and glorified, people might be saved, and that we might be blessed as we live in an atmosphere of evangelism and power and grace. So thank you for that, Lord. And hear us. And grant it for the cause and the sake and the glory of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. So keep on praying uh, throughout the afternoon. Come here tonight with a joyful, expectant heart. And uh, we'll see just what God does. Okay? And we'll enjoy the food. I'm not going to lie about that. I look forward to Thanksgiving every year. I like most Thanksgiving food. Well, we're in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. Fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And we're going to be going down to uh, verse 7. And I've entitled this, it's kind of a weird title, but an ordinary miracle. And I ask you, are any miracles ordinary No, no, they're not. But they look ordinary sometimes. And sometimes we treat them like, oh, no big deal. God did something, no big deal. And anything God does, especially any way that he blesses us, is a miracle. Because we don't deserve it. All we deserve is his wrath. And yet, look what he has done for us. And as we were praying, we're talking about this, through the Lord Jesus Christ... And we saw in our Sunday school lesson today, as we uh, get to the end of chapter 6 in Galatians, those Judaizers that were coming in and telling the Galatians, oh, you've got to do this to finish your salvation, and we have something special for you, and you're going to miss out if you don't uh, get this done. Well, Paul exposed them today. They weren't doing that because they cared about anybody or loved anybody. They were doing it for themselves. They wanted to avoid persecution from the Jews in the temple. And they also wanted to be able to boast at how influential and powerful they were. And they wanted to brag about all of it. And that's where flesh always goes. And that's why our flesh loves the dramatic. We love the things that can't be explained. Even the world does this, the psychic Phenomena and that type of thing. I heard a commercial the other day to go to an app for California psychics that they guarantee, you know, that things are going to happen or, you know, or you get your money back and that type of thing. And uh, we're always impressed by those type of things. But yet we uh, call certain things miracle. Whenever a, a young lady has a baby, we talk about the miracle of birth. But nobody gets terribly excited about that. In fact, we live in a culture. That wants to kill them if the mama decides that the miracle needs to die. And we're so inconsistent on everything that we say and everything that we do. And then if the child does survive birth and it does grow up... and then the child decides it wants to change its gender... well, we're okay with taking little children that aren't sure if they're a dog one day, a cat one day... if they're Batman one day or Superman another day... we're going to let them make life-changing and life-altering decisions... on the basis of how they feel that particular day... God help us for our inconsistencies. And yet God works miracles all around us all the time. And they just go right past us. We don't pay attention to them. And we're not thankful for them. There are a lot of you that your life in previous days would have been over by now. And I would be among that number. And yet when we get up in the morning, we gripe, we groan, we complain. We complain instead of thinking that we are the recipients of a miracle, the miracles that come through the wisdom given by God to humans, through science, through medicine, that type of thing. And we think about all of the things that are available to us now that even people that were very wealthy like King Solomon Never had, never was able to enjoy air conditioning, ice in his freezer, a variety of foods. All of those kind of things that we get every single day and they go right past us. We think about how normal it is for us to think about our meals. Some of you are thinking about lunch right now or you're thinking about uh, Thanksgiving coming up in a few days. What you're going to make, what you're going to do. And yet we never ever stop to think about the fact... Uh, Has it ever entered your mind that you could not provide food on Thursday? Did it ever enter your mind that you might not have breakfast tomorrow? Has it ever entered your mind that you may not eat for two or three days? And I confess to you, I've never known that type of a life. I expect to eat when I ought to be thankful that I am eating. Because for most of human history... To have three meals a day of virtually anything you want is an absolute miracle. When you think about our farmers, I uh, have told you this before, but I was watching uh, a news program one time and they interviewed somebody. I think they were in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, they said something about uh, farmers. And this person said, I don't worry about them because I don't get my food from a farm. I get my food at the grocery store. Now, how silly is that? And to think about, only a little over 1% of our American population is involved in agriculture, about 1.5%. And yet they feed all of us, and we can even export it. You know what anybody in Bible times would call that? That is an absolute miracle of God that any of that could be done. Back in those days... They raised their own food and barely had enough. Now we have a small percentage of our population giving us so much food in such quantities that we have to worry about losing weight. Nobody in Bible times worried about losing weight. Nobody in Bible times went to Weight Watchers or anything like that. Why? Their struggle was the opposite having enough to sustain life, not having so much that they had problems from obesity okay we are blessed in so many ways do you realize there are people all over the world who have never heard about Jesus they have never heard about the gospel and that's why it was such a passion in the apostle Paul's heart to go to those who had never heard the gospel and we look at it and we go, well, you know, oh, they're different, they're weird, they worship idols. Maybe they don't deserve, I heard someone say one time, maybe they don't deserve to hear the gospel. Do you think that that is an accurate statement? The Bible says we're to go into all the world, so the debate's over. That's a command of Christ. But the idea that some people would be more deserving of the gospel of grace, which is undeserved favor from God is preposterous. And so sometimes there are thoughts that get into our mind, things that control us, and even if you would be one of those where you're informed enough, you would never say anything like that. But do you act like it? And do you share your faith? And are you burdened for the lost? And do you want God's name to be glorified throughout the nations of the world as we are called to do? Jesus said to His disciples, go wait in Jerusalem, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it was a lot more difficult to do that then than it is now. And we ought to be just as burdened as they are. And that's the pattern that we see in John chapter 4 in uh, our Lord's life. And the Bible says in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So you remember the story. They've been by the Jordan River and there's been this thing that has come up between John the Baptist's disciples and the Lord Jesus' disciples when the disciples of John the Baptist are saying, hey, everybody's going to Jesus. What's going on? And that's when John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. That should be the motto of our life. And then Jesus because it was attracting unwanted attention from his enemies and his hour had not yet come for him to be arrested and die and all of that, he heads up toward Galilee. That's where he was raised. That's where Nazareth was. He wanted to get among his own people. He wanted to get away from the scrutiny of the uh, temple police or Nazis, as the case may be, And uh, so he did that. And so he decided to go straight through Samaria instead of going around Samaria to get to Galilee. And so when they come to this one place where there's a fork in the road, there's a well right there at the fork. And Jesus said, I'm tired, I've got to rest. And so he sits down at the well and his disciples say, we'll go into town and we will uh, grab something and we'll bring it back here to you. And that's the context. Was it any coincidence that Jesus was tired, hot, and thirsty at that particular part of the day? Is uh, there anything to this point that Jesus decides to sit down and let the disciples go and get the food? Just ordinary kind of stuff. Anybody watching that would say, well, it's weird that he's in Samaria, but it's not weird that his disciples would go get him something. That's the way the Jews worked and that's the way that they thought. They would call him rabbi. They would call him master at times. Why? They were there to serve him and to take care of him. You said, let us go get the food and let us bring it back. So while he's sitting there, this is when verse 7 kicks in. Then this woman from Samaria comes up. Now, because we have the privilege of knowing the whole story, we may not think much about that, but I want you to pretend you are hearing this for the very first time. And you are hearing a story about the king of the universe coming to earth in human flesh, and I want you to notice that he got tired and he got thirsty, just like you do. But even in those things, it's under the control Of the Lord and it's by a plan because this story falls apart if Jesus doesn't stop this story and everything that it means falls apart if the woman goes to a different place to get her water this falls apart if Jesus sets down at nine o'clock in the morning instead of the time that he's setting down now this story falls apart if the woman goes and gets her water from that same well but does it three hours before Jesus gets there Everything is working like clockwork pulled together by the Lord for this particular encounter. And the woman has no idea. You know, tonight you may bring somebody with you and all they think of is, I want turkey and stuffing. And they have no idea they're going to encounter Jesus Christ and His gospel tonight. They have no idea what is going to happen. In fact, it uh, seems to me that when I hear people's testimony, that uh, whenever they were saved, it wasn't something they were expecting. Because the Bible says no one seeks after God. People are drawn to the Lord, of course. And sometimes we get mistaken. We think the drawing was us. And we think we were seeking when we were being led along to a particular place at a particular time. But woman, if we were to ask her. Miss Samaritan woman. What are you doing? I got to go get water. Where are you going to go get it? Well, I think today I'm going to go to Jacob's well. Oh, really? What do you think's going to happen there? I'm going to get water. That's all I'm expecting. If I come back with water, they would carry it on their heads. When I come back with the water and there's enough for my little garden or there's enough for the livestock that we have, then I'll be happy and I'll go back at a later time. But right now, this is just, I just got to do the job. This is what has to be done. And it was common for the women to get the water. You can read about that even back in the Old Testament, they would do that. And uh, so that's all she expected. You know, there are people that will tell you that God meets you at the point of your expectation. Well, I would uh, agree with anybody who says we ought to expect great things from God, but I'm so glad He doesn't meet us at the level of our expectation because this woman only expected to have a pitcher of water. This woman only expected to have enough water to maybe... Quench the lamb's thirst if they had one. Or a goat or something like that. Or if they had a little vegetable garden. Maybe to keep them alive. They are after all in a desert area. So she's not expecting anything. But the Lord Jesus is there. And all of her life is being arranged. For this particular moment. And she is being brought into contact. With not just a weird Jewish guy sitting by the well that would that would have been something that would have been puzzling to her it's not just somebody who happens to speak to her because Jewish men didn't speak to women except for their wives or daughters Uh, that just wasn't done and and he does that what is going on here there's something going on behind the scenes the unseen hand is at work and nobody could really see it except of course Jesus at this particular time so I want you to think about some things that we can learn from all of this that can help us in uh, our daily lives and uh, number one would be this don't overlook the outcast have you ever looked at somebody and you uh, looked at them and said man they seem like a nice person they seem like they're sharp they have it all together man I wish they'd get saved I can remember when I was a kid hearing a, uh, either a Sunday school or a training union teacher, I don't remember which, talking about some Hollywood celebrity. might have been John Wayne. Let's say John Wayne. And they said something like this. Oh, just think what God could do if John Wayne would only trust Christ. He could really, really use him. You ever heard anything like that? People that say, oh, if this millionaire or billionaire would get saved. What if Bill Gates would get saved? Oh, the money that he could pour into the cause of Christ. The influence that he could have. Oh, what about this athlete? What about them if they could trust Christ, win the Heisman Trophy, get a multi-million dollar uh, pro contract signed, and then get the signing bonus, and then come and join our church? Man, wouldn't that be great? If we could do that. And just think of how it would be if Isaac could have a youth meeting with a Heisman Trophy winner that one of the kids in high school would know we could fill the place up. Oh, if only God would do something like that. But the Apostle Paul would tap you on the shoulder and he would say, Hold on just a minute, not so fast. For God did not call many wise or many noble or anything like that. What kind of people does God call into his kingdom? He calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And our problem is, we look around at people. And uh, when I was in a sales organization one time, they would have us pre-qualify people. Is this a person who is likely to buy this product? If they're not, don't waste your time. But kind of pre-qualify, ask some questions, find out where they are and Find out what their needs are and that kind of thing. And then you can get them to buy your product. Well, you know what? A lot of times we pre-qualify people and we look at somebody and we go, oh, that would be great if they would be saved, but they probably won't. Well, you don't know that, do you? Because you don't know the plan of God. And there are other people we look at and we go, ah, oh, those people, that guy, I, I, I doubt he will ever be saved. Well, that's what they would have said about the Apostle Paul. That's what they would have said about a lot of people. Maybe even you. And yet here you are. We look at people and sometimes we're like uh, a time when I was working with a pastor I was serving with and we were knocking on doors and he told me, don't go into that neighborhood. You can't build a church on those kind of people. That's a pretty terrible statement. And yet we find here that Jesus, heading to Galilee, takes an unusual route through Samaria, stops at an unusual place, a well where the fork in the road was, and he just waits. The disciples go away. They have no idea what's happening. They're just going to get food, just an ordinary day, ordinary time, ordinary thing. Even when we look at the Lord Jesus, is it ordinary for a man to get tired? Is it ordinary for a man who's been walking through a hot, dry, deserted area to want to maybe get a drink of water or rest for a while? No, those things are all very ordinary. Is it, is it extraordinary for a woman to come to a well and come at this particular time? No, it, it's not, not. Not at all. These are all ordinary things. But there's something about the woman That uh, some of you probably already know, but I don't want any of us to miss it. This woman is coming at a weird, weird time. Now, if we go by Jewish time, this would be at noon. It's hot, the sun is beating down on you. Why is she coming at noon? You see, in those days, usually the women went together to get water as a group, their safety in numbers. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know there may be some bad guys out there. You need the numbers. They did it also for company, for fellowship. It was their chance to talk, share stories, that type of thing. And they went to go get the water as a group. But they typically went early in the morning before the sun was really out and hot Or they went in the late evening when things were starting to cool down. But they would never go at this particular time. Why is she doing this? Well, if we just kind of read ahead in the story, we find out that this woman had some moral problems. Now I want to ask you, if you are thinking about Jesus sitting by the well... Who is the person he would most likely talk to? Now, don't let your knowledge of the story prejudice you. Who would you really think if you didn't know the story that Jesus would talk to? Well, I don't know, but probably not her. That's not the kind of woman you want to be seen talking to if you're going to be uh, proclaiming that you're the Messiah. She's not a really good person in any way, shape, or form, not even humanly. We find that as uh, we go through the story, when Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, get your husband, she said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, you've had five, and the one you're currently with is not your husband. This woman had moral problems, moral problems. It leads me to believe that the reason she's coming at a weird time and she's not coming with a group of other women is because the other women wouldn't have anything to do with her. I wonder if she had been with maybe one of their husbands. I wonder if she had, through her marriage and divorce, some of you know firsthand how that affects extended family and other things like that. I wonder when you've had five like that in a small village, I wonder maybe all of those men that she had married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced were their brothers, maybe their uncles, maybe. A father, who knows? Maybe through all of that, where did she find all of these men? Were there that many single men, especially as she aged? Well, let's speculate a little bit. Maybe with that many husbands and living with the man that she was with, maybe she was what has been called in the past a home wrecker. And maybe the other women were thinking, I can't have anything to do with you after what you did to maybe it was their husband that she stole maybe it was one of them that one of their husbands she was living with in other words what i'm trying to say and paint the picture this was not a nice respectable put together wonderful moral successful lady that everybody would go oh we'd love to have her in our church we need more of those kind of people that didn't phase jesus did it And yet we overlook the outcast. We overlook the people that we think, well, they're mean, well, they're weird, well, they're really steeped in the world. Well, they uh, wouldn't want anything to do with the Lord Jesus and all of that. Well, that's not really what matters, is it? The Bible says people come to Christ because the Spirit draws them, not simply because they have an interest or anything like that, or a propensity toward those things. In fact, those who seem to have a propensity toward religion are sometimes the worst people that you find in the Word of God because they're false converts. So Jesus gives us an example of don't overlook the outcast. You know any outcast? You know any people that just don't fit in? You know any people that maybe... Maybe they're not like a hell's angel or anything like that. They're just strange, weird. Maybe they're people who just dress like a poor person dresses. Maybe they're not as clean as you think that they ought to be. Maybe their language is a little rough. I don't know if you've noticed Isaiah in Isaiah 6 says that he's a man of unclean lips and he comes from a people with unclean lips. Couldn't that be said of us today? I mean, you can hardly talk to somebody without cuss words coming out. Maybe we look and we say, well, I just don't feel comfortable witnessing to them. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know if they'll ever be saved. And I know they need to be saved. I won't deny that. But I just don't know that it'll ever come. Do you suppose anybody would have said that in our church about this woman? Do you suppose there's somebody like this woman that you know, that you could witness to, that you could befriend, that you could serve, that you could help, that uh, you could... Uh, Share the gospel with them. But uh, I don't know. I don't like those kind of people. And I don't like to be seen around those kind of people. And what would people think? Well, couldn't you ask the same question here? In fact, the disciples are a little bit shocked whenever they do come back. And so don't overlook the outcast. And I want to remind you that when this woman came to draw water because she couldn't come in a group or with anybody else, I want you to think about some things that were said about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus went into the synagogue in his own hometown, this is the scripture from Isaiah that he quoted and com- that he read and commented on. And listen to this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I hope you can say that. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the rich and the famous. To the celebrities. To those who have a lot to give to the kingdom of God. No. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. I don't know if... You've been around very many broken-hearted people, but it's a real joy. I mean, they're just so much fun. They laugh and they joke and they do all... No, you know I'm being facetious. To preach or to heal the broken-hearted. The people you don't normally want to be around is the key. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Well, who wants to hang around a slave? And recovery of sight to the blind... And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus said that. And you know what they wanted to do in his own hometown? Kill him. Stone him. And yet this is what Jesus came for. That's why people like you and people like me are saved because all of that really describes the way we were. And if it doesn't describe describe us physically and economically, it does describe us spiritually depleted, impoverished, having nothing to offer the Lord and no reason why He would even want to be around us. And yet He did. That's why Jesus came. You know, if we're going to walk in the Spirit as we've seen in Galatians chapter 6... That's going to lead us to be like Jesus. And that means that we are not going to overlook those kind of people. Those kind of situations. We realize that Jesus is the answer. And he's the only hope that we have. So how do you look at the outcast? Number two, don't overlook the ordinary. Jesus said to her, he didn't even give her a ye must be born again like he did Nicodemus. To this lady, all he says is, can I have a drink? And it shocks her. It stuns her. First of all, because he's a Jew. And secondly, because he's a man. And she's just kind of beside herself that that would happen just through a simple, ordinary question. And I want to say to you, don't discount your simple, ordinary conversations with lost people. Sometimes that can open the door to a whole other conversation like it did in this particular situation. But Jesus starts off with a friendly, can I have a drink of water to her? And she is not used to anybody treating her with any kind of respect. In fact, the Jews would have considered anything that a Samaritan owned to be unclean so that water, even though it came out of Jacob's well, would be unclean because of the, uh, the pitcher, the water pot that the woman had touched and was carrying. And so for Jesus to drink the water would uh, make him ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. They would think. So there's all kinds of weird about this situation. Why is he doing this? Why is he talking to her? And uh, notice that he doesn't come with a word of condemnation. He doesn't come with a word of you Samaritans need to get right with God. You don't even know where to worship. You're worshiping in the wrong temple. And you're worshiping for the wrong reasons. And your ancestors were corrupt. And uh, I'm here to straighten all that out. No, he didn't do that. He's kind. He's speaking to her. Something that no one else had done in a while, perhaps. And he says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to get food. I mean, this shows us the humanity of Jesus. He was God in human flesh. He lived like us. He got tired like us. He got thirsty like us. And he had personal interactions with other people, just like we do. He didn't walk around in a white robe with a halo over his head or anything like that. He looked ordinary. He looked normal, like a normal person. And he's sitting there and he talks to her. And I wonder what, uh, besides shocking her, what it really did to her and meant to her that he would pay attention to her. And you know, we get so excited when a celebrity is saved and we get so uh, uh, excited when dramatic events occur. And yet here is an unnamed, immoral, Samaritan woman getting water because of uh, the shunning that she got from everybody else would you call this a miracle territory now if i see a man with a withered hand and jesus is walking up i might go "Ooh, something's going to happen here if i see jesus in front of a tomb and he's weeping and then he cries lazarus come forth oh boy this is going to be good If he goes up to a blind man and spits in the mud and then puts that mud on the blind man's eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, I might want to follow that guy. That's big stuff. That's amazing. But a Samaritan woman having her sins forgiven, (sighs) can't make a movie out of that, can you? And yet, look what happened as a result of this beginning of an ordinary conversation folks we sometimes forget it's through ordinary means and interactions with other people that God does extraordinary things even with people like this woman we don't even know her name we don't know what happened to her after this and yet it is recorded in God's word it is significant And we forget how God works through the ordinary traffic patterns of life. Number three. Don't be intimidated by barriers. Jesus had every reason, humanly speaking, not to talk to her, to have nothing to do with her, to join in with everybody else and turn his back on her and make it really clear when she comes up, you're not getting any conversation out of me. In fact, I don't even want to look at you. I kind of have an idea why you're here by yourself. I can put two and two together. Fold his arms And turn away and be disgusted by her. And she would have deserved it. But that's not what Jesus did. And the woman is shocked. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? I mean, this is weird. You don't cross over those barriers. How many barriers are you afraid to cross over? How many things intimidate you and push you back when you could do something, but you don't because you're uncomfortable, because it wouldn't look right, because you weren't raised that way, because they are so different, because whatever situation it might be. What do you do? How do you look at other people? Do you see them as people made in the image of God, a creation of God as you are? Do you see them through the eyes of the gospel? This could be an opportunity to scatter seed. This could be an opportunity to water seed. And uh, we'll, we'll, where we start? We're going to start with the very, very ordinary things, and we're going to see where God leads us and what is going to happen. But there's every reason not to. I think about Luke chapter 2, verse 29. When Simeon sees the baby Jesus at the temple... Uh, He prophesies over him, and, and notice what he says. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all people. Well, why did he say peoples? Isn't Jesus just for Jews? Aren't the prophecies just for the Jews? I mean, he, after all, he's gone into the temple and, and uh, been dedicated there. Isn't that a Jewish thing? What, what's this stuff about peoples, the nations? And then he goes on to get more clear in verse 32. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Like that Roman over there. Like that tax collector over there. Like these people that are the traitors that are here coming in and out. What? Talk to them? Love them, minister to them, you have got to be kidding. They are contaminating our land, they are corrupting us, they are the reason God is not blessing us, how dare they? Don't expect me to have anything to do with them. And Samaritans were even worse. And yet everything that Simeon says here, it has the idea that Jesus is coming For those people that the Jews wouldn't even talk to, that the Jews wouldn't even touch, that the Jews wouldn't even go into a Gentile household. Think about that. And yet Jesus came to save those people that the Jews wouldn't even touch or speak to. And I think we need to learn from that as well because we have these different social barriers, economic barriers, educational barriers, and all of that that we think they're too smart. I could never talk to them. Or they're way beneath me. I could never really talk to them. I don't even really think about all of that. Just do your job and, 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 and I'll be out of your way before too much longer. Do you ever see that when you come into contact with somebody that you consider to be way above you or even, sadly, kind of beneath you, that that's not the way God sees it at all. God sees it as your opportunity to share the gospel and to be kind and to minister to and to serve these outcast people. And we've got to look beyond the normal barriers. For a long time, there were racial barriers and things like that. Uh, there are also other barriers as well. Why do you think there are churches like cowboy churches and stuff? They probably didn't feel comfortable coming into a normal First Baptist church in a particular town, so they made their own. Why do you think it is that sometimes people feel uncomfortable when they go into a certain church and uh, all the women have furs on and golden earrings, and the men are dressed in $1,500 suits, and they come in, they're just wearing whatever they could put together. How do you think they feel? How do you think that is? And so reach out to them. Well, maybe somebody of their own kind should reach out to them. I have actually heard that said in church. There was a church that Sammy and I were a member of that had a lot of mission churches all over Dallas. And there was one time our evangelism professor was telling us that this woman off of the streets had come, walked the aisle, trusted Christ, and everybody was excited about it. But he heard the staff member say, we have a chapel down in this part of town and you would probably be much more comfortable there. And we wonder why God's not blessing us. To each his own and all of that kind of stuff. We've got to step across Some of these barriers that are coming up. I just said step across. Man, my hillbilly's coming out. Number four. Don't be afraid to break with the norm. You know, you have normal patterns in your life you know if you're going to be the kind of witness for Christ that you want to be you might have to step out of your comfort zone you might have to step out of your routine you might have to do something that is a little bit weird a little bit awkward witnessing is never for me this kind of thing where it just gushes out of me like talking about football or the weather or anything like that no it always makes me a little bit tense I want to make sure I get it right I want to make sure that I'm not coming across like a jerk or anything like that. All these things that I think about. And it's all too easy to be like, do you remember the story of the guy that was going from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho? And on the way he fell among thieves, and they robbed him and beat him up and left him for dead. And who's the first person that walked past him? It was a religious guy, wasn't it? There was a priest and there was a Levite. And when they walked by him, they made sure to go to the other side of the road so they wouldn't be contaminated because that would mess up their ministry at the temple. And Jesus didn't have a good thing to say about them, did he? But then there's a Samaritan, that's what we've been talking about here, those compromised, barely a Jew, and the Jews consider them not to be Jews. And yet he's the one that showed compassion. He's the one that actually helped. Now, do you think that the Samaritan got out his phone and typed in there, find a Jewish beat-up dead guy to help? I don't think so. I think he was on his way somewhere to do something. We don't know what, but it may have been very important. He had supplies with him that he was able to use to help this guy. But you know what he did? He went out of his normal Routine in order to help someone else. Now, the normal routine for Jesus and people like him would have been to go either to the east or to the west around Samaria and just avoid that altogether. But Jesus broke out of the norm. You notice here the normal thing was for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But you find that when you get into the book of Acts and the spread of the gospel, in Acts 8, verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. What is he doing? Same thing Jesus did. He's breaking the norms. Normally Jews don't go down to Samaria, but Philip did, just like Jesus. We find in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, Philip uh, has an angel of the Lord come to him and he says go and go on toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Heard of Gaza lately? And uh, this is desert. And so he uh, arose and went and you know what he sees? There's a chariot out there. Just at the right time, the right place and Philip is able to run to catch up with the chariot. It must have been a slow one. And as he runs, he sees there's an Ethiopian man. Now, Philip probably didn't normally run across Ethiopians. Travel was not what it is now, and immigration was not what it is now. But you know what? Didn't matter. He looks in there, and the Ethiopian eunuch is a very important man, but he's reading out of the scroll of Isaiah, and only rich people could have scrolls. And Philip asks the question, Do you understand what you're reading? Well, that's an ordinary question, isn't it? What does a guy say? How can I accept somebody explain it? Philip said, may I hop in? Hop in. And then he explains it to him. And what happens? This Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and he goes home to Ethiopia and he is a witness for Christ there. That's an amazing thing. But that was out of the norm. That was not what they normally would do. And that's what holds us back. So often, we just do our normal things, go about our normal routine, and it's just, you know, nothing's going to move us. And we uh, just kind of wonder, well, I don't know any lost people. Maybe you need to get out of your normal routine. Well, I never get a chance to do any of those kind of things, probably because you don't get out of your normal routine. After all, this is not about pleasing you, is it? It really is about the uh, Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And you can read about that. Think about Peter going to Cornelius. What happened there? He went out of his norm. But you know the greatest thing of all? I want you to think about Jesus before he came to earth. Where was he? He was in heaven. What was he doing up there? Well, he was the creator of the universe. He's the one in John 1 that created all things. And think about him, he knows everything, he is all-powerful, he's not locked in a body, he can be anywhere, anytime, doing anything, he has the angels singing to him and talking about him, he has perfect fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, think about all of that. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that this God, this King of heaven, is emptied himself of all of the rights and privileges that he had, came down and entered a virgin's womb. You want to talk about going outside of the norm? Jesus on a cross, that's outside of the norm for the Son of God. Jesus dying and being laid into a tomb, that's outside of the norm for the Son of God. Jesus being thirsty by a well, that's outside of the norm for the Son of God. But why did he do all of that? Paul said this is a worthy saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So, if we are going to be like Christ, there are some things we're going to have to look at people different. We're going to have to look at situations of life different we're going to have to look at barriers different that they're made to be crossed that's why people are missionaries in even dangerous countries today they weren't going to let anything stop them and then we just got to start by getting out of our norm the people that we want to reach don't run in our circles they don't do what we do and the longer you're saved the fewer and fewer contacts you have with them you're going to have to step outside of your norm You're going to have to watch in your neighborhood. Why are all those cars gathered up around uh, so-and-so's house? Huh, I better find out. And you find out that the husband just died. And they're all there for a funeral. You think that's an opportunity to do something? You could pray. You could make a meal. You could do something like that. But we've got to watch and we've got to get outside of our normal routine to interact with them. May God grant that we do that. And if you're here today and you say, I feel like such a stranger in this place. Well, actually, you are welcome here. We're glad that you're here. But the reason it feels different is because if you've never trusted Christ, you're not in his family. And, you know, it'd be kind of awkward to go to somebody else's family reunion if you're not related to them, right? One time uh, a few years ago I had a funeral to do in the morning and uh, there was somebody else a church member that was burying a loved one right after the funeral I was preaching and I thought well I can do both. And so I got through with the service I did in the graveside and then I i mean, I flew back over here to Rest Haven and when I got there, I looked, I saw the blue tent thing and I parked my car and I ran up there to it. Everybody else had already there. I ran to it. How weird must have that looked? And I got up there and I stood with the people and you know, you try to make it look kind of normal. Like, and then I looked around and I go, I don't know anybody here. <laughs> I looked at the name that was down there. That's not the person that I know. How do you get out of that? You step back very quietly and then you go run to your car and drive around till you find the right place. Some people feel like that, folks, when they come to church. No matter how often you shake their hand or say we're glad that they're, they just don't fit in because they've never been born again. They're not a part of the family. And so what we're doing tonight is we want people to be in the family. We're going to break the norm and invite them in and bring them in and feed them a meal and fellowship with them as much as we can. But we want them overall to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See how important this is? But the same thing can happen on your way to work tomorrow. The same thing can happen in your neighborhood. The same thing can happen when you're checking out with your groceries. The same thing can happen... And uh, I, I just challenge you. If you don't know how to do that, talk to Melissa Boyd. She does it all the time. And find people like that who do that and learn from them so that we can be like Jesus. So if you are here today and you feel awkward, out of place because you've never trusted Christ, will you? Trust him that his death on the cross paid for all of your sins in full, that he was raised from the dead, and that he is Lord of all. And the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Repent of your sins. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can talk to anybody that is around you, and they will get you with someone who can explain that more and uh, help you with it. And I pray that you will. You must be born again. May we pray together, Father? As we think about these things, we see just how different Jesus is than we are, and we see that even when we look in the Bible and we see the people we don't want to be like, yet we we are, and we tend to just kind of uh, run in our own circles, doing our own things in our own way. And I'm preaching to myself as well. Father, help us, Lord. To look at things differently. A miracle is not just the dramatic thing that happens. The greatest miracle of all is when a soul is saved. Help us to see that. Help us to understand that and to rejoice in that. To pray for that. To long for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that all. That you might be glorified in more places and by more people than ever before. And please give us the privilege of being involved in your eternal plan and purpose. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen.